0: that are known as the Minor Prophets. Now, as as one uh, preacher said, uh, the uh, the Minor Prophets, whoever came up with that name, uh, didn't know what he was talking about because there's nothing minor about them. And as we've walked through them, we've seen the major themes, the major stories and things that we found throughout these books. And I hope that uh, you've enjoyed our walk through them. Now, we're down to the final three. And uh, we're going to talk about them over these coming weeks. But today we're in the book of Haggai. And so we'll go to that first slide there. Todd, that has all the books in order, and uh, these are the the books of the the minor prophets in order, and so hopefully this will help you out as we learn them together. We've done this every week. We'll do it again today. We're going to recite all of these books uh, in order, uh, left column first, uh, right column second, and uh, we're going to learn these together. This will help us so that we can know where to find them whenever we're looking for them or whenever a preacher comes in and says, oh, turn to this obscure book in the Bible. You'll be able to know how to find it, okay? So let's say them together. Here we go. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. All right, good job. 12 books that encompass about 400 years of history written by multiple men, at least 12 different men, and we've been able to look at them most of these that we've looked at have dealt primarily with judgment upon different nations. We've dealt with the judgment of Israel, and then we talked about the divided kingdom, the, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. We had a couple of books that dealt with uh, judgment on different nations. Jonah dealing with the judgment of Nineveh, and and, uh, and then we talked about the jo- the judgment of, 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 uh, of, of um, where am I trying to say? Edom, there we go, uh, of, of Edom that we talked about, the Edomites just a couple of weeks ago. So we've been working through all these different nations, and today we come to the book of Haggai. Now, to set the stage for what we're dealing with here, uh, the the last three books are are known as the post-exilic books, all right? So what does this have to do with? What does that word mean? That's kind of a a big word, uh, kind of a fancy word. It just means post-exile, okay? It means after the exile. What was the exile? Well, we know back in the first uh, chapter of Daniel, the children of Israel were carried away to another nation. We talked about that over these last couple of Weeks And that's exactly what had taken place. Uh, Babylon had came and had an open southern kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar had taken the, the children of Israel captive and brought Judah to its knees and had destroyed that southern kingdom. Uh, we talked about the terrible situation that, that those uh, young people found themselves in whenever they were brought uh, to that, that foreign country. And for the next about 70 years, they would remain in exile. Various uh, capacities of that, but they, they remained in exile. And it, it wasn't until about 538 B.C. that Cyrus the Persian made a proclam- proclamation. And that's recorded in, 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 in Ezra chapter number 1, the very beginning of Ezra, uh, that, that, that Israel could return to their homeland from Babylon. And of the multitude of Israelis that had, had gone into captivity for that 70-year period, about 50,000 of them, a relatively small number, returned back to their land. And over the next two years, they set about rebuilding their nation and primarily rebuilding the temple of the Lord. But you can mark it down. Anytime something good is happening for God, resistance is sure to come. In Ezra, we we find what took place. You can look at the words on the screen. The Bible tells us in Ezra 4, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel, the chief of the fathers, and said unto them, Let us build with you. For we seek your God as you do, and we do sacrifice unto him. It's the day of Ahaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. And so here are the people, the, the, these enemies of Israel, the enemies of Judah, they, they came to King Zerubbabel, and they came to him and said, oh, hey, listen, we're just like you. We're, 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 we're just, we believe in the same God. It's all the same God. And they said, hey, we're on the same team. Hey, why don't we just help you out? Well, they weren't interested in really helping out anything. They were interested in destruction and and hindering the work of God going forward. And so, Zerubbabel in verse number 3 says, "...and Joshua, the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel..." They said to them, you have nothing to do with us to build a house unto God, but we ourselves gather will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus the king of Persia hath commanded. Hey, they said, listen, they said, you don't you, you, don't even know who our God is. You coming around saying that you're going to build this temple to our God? They said, no, 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 you want to corrupt our nation. That's what they were seeking to do. So then the people of the land, they weakened the hands of the people of Judah, troubled them in the building. And then they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus the king of Persia, even into the reign of Darius king of Persia. See the enemies of God. That we, if you go into to, to Ezra chapter number four, you find that they begin to write letters to the to the kings of Persia. First to Ahasuerus and and then to Artaxerxes, they begin to write these letters to them. And, and they were as opponents of Israel. They were writing out these letters against the children of Israel. And finally, finally, Artaxerxes wrote out a decree. That any building of the temple was to be stopped, and in Ezra chapter number four, verse number twenty-four, it says, "Then the, then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem." So it ceased in the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So here at the children of Israel, they're trying to build back up the temple of God, trying to build back up, do this work of God uh, for the Lord and and reestablish their nation and all these different things. And the enemies came in and and they began oppressing them and they began resisting them. And in fact, the leaders of of the country, of the world there, began to to, to resist them to the point that, that they came to that point where they said, okay, and they ceased from doing the work of God. They stopped building the temple. And 16 years after that decree took place is when we find our way to the book of Haggai that we're looking at this morning. There's two chapters. It's a short book. It was written over a period of about three and a half months, a relatively short period of time. In this book, there are four messages that Haggai preached. The, the first message was composed in the first chapter uh, of Haggai, and then the final three messages were preached in the second chapter. The first one was on the first day of the sixth month, uh, then the one on the twentieth day of the seventh month, and the last two were on the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, at various points during that day. He, he and a contemporary, Zechariah, they preached these messages to Israel, not like most of the minor prophets that we've been through, Haggai's message was not a message of judgment. His was a challenge to the people to finish the building of the temple, to get back to work. Now, as we get into this, it's important for us to set the groundwork and really understand what the Old Testament temple was about. Uh, You you remember the the Old Testament, the the temple was the place where people would come and would offer sacrifices to God. It was the place where people would would deal with their sin. It was the place where people would commune with God, where they would have a relationship with God. that's, That's what it was, and that's why it was so important. So for there not to be a temple was for the people not to have that access to deal with their sin, to deal with the relationship and have a relationship with God. It was more than just a structure. It it was more than just a building. No, it was a place where the people could glorify the Lord and have a relationship with Him. But the temple was in ruin. So the people weren't enjoying that presence of God. They they had a number of excuses why they weren't building the temple. A number of reasons why they had ceased from doing this work. You know, the truth is, today, things are a little bit different than what they were back then. We don't have a temple like they, they had back in the Old Testament. We don't have a building where we go and we offer sacrifices and things like that. Uh, we understand that. We, we've talked about this before. Uh, and, and the Bible tells us that whenever you become a follower of Christ, whenever you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you become a royal priesthood. Now that's so important. Listen, friend, if you never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you don't understand what that means, the Bible tells us that all have sinned, that they've come short of the glory of God. They've set, come short of perfection. Now, every one of us, if I asked you, hey, where do you want to spend eternity? Do you want to spend eternity in a lake of fire or in heaven? Everybody in this room would say, well, of course we want to spend eternity in heaven. But here's the problem. There's a lot of people that want to spend eternity in heaven that are on their way to a lake of fire. (laughs) See, the Bible tells us that all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and the wage of that sin is death or separation from God. Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then because you are a sinner, you are destined to spend eternity in a lake of fire. That's not good news. But... God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin. If the wage of sin is death and Jesus died, what did He do? He paid for our sin. Paid the payment. So what do we have to do? The Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There has to be a point in your life where you come to that place where you realize that I am a sinner, that I can't get to heaven on my own, that I put my faith, and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone to get me to heaven one day. Friend, if you've never done that, then none of the rest of this message is going to make any sense. But I hope this morning you'll do that. That you'll pray right where you're seated, even right now, and just say, Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I want to trust in You and You alone for my salvation to take me to heaven one day and spend eternity with You. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. See, in the Old Testament, the temple was a building. It was a structure. But in the New Testament, things have changed. The Bible tells us that the temple is no longer some building that we go to. No, the Bible tells us that when you become a Christian, when you accept Christ as your Savior, your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit Of God dwelleth in you. He talks about it again a little bit later in verse number 19. He says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You have the presence of God inside of you. And listen, friend, you cannot lose that Holy Spirit. He can never leave you, He never will leave you. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 12, it says that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth. He says, okay, so here's how it works. He says, you heard the word of God. You heard the truth of God. You accepted that truth, okay? And it says this, after that you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation. You accepted Christ as your Savior. It says this, in whom also that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, okay? Here's what he says. He says, okay, whenever you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone, he says, you are given the Holy Spirit as an earnest an earnest we don't use that word very much today <laughs> what was an earnest an earnest was a down payment it was the it was the earnest money right it was the down payment the proof the seal that you you're bought The Bible tells us you're given the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. He's the proof of your salvation. But listen, he says this, until the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. What's that talking about? Here's what he says. He says, listen, you're giving the Holy Spirit so that one day whenever you stand before God, God will say, oh, I know you. You're mine. You've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Listen, friend, it's not some, some feeling, it's not some, some emotion, okay? It's not something where you're like, oh yeah, I just feel like I'm full of the Spirit, okay? That's not what we're talking about here, okay? We're talking about, listen, it's a cut-and-dry, one-time thing that once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and He don't go anywhere until He gets to heaven one day, okay? He is dwelling within you, therefore you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God that 's important, because here 's the problem, just like the Israelites in the day of Haggai, you can allow your temple to be ruined now listen we 're not talking about outward appearance today that's that 's not what we 're talking about, although that is important. We we know that the Bible tells us that that, that man looketh on the outward appearance, God looketh on the heart. And, and so many people say, well, listen, uh, the Bible says God sees my heart, so it doesn't really matter what I look like on the outside. But but you missed the first part where man looks on the outward appearance, okay? That's the only thing that man can see. And so, yes, it is still important that, that we we live our life in a certain way that, that pleases and honors God, okay? That's, that's important. Why? Because you're a walking billboard for Jesus Christ. You're a walking billboard for the one. That's living inside of you, so that's why it is important. That's why 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 there's certain things that sometimes we gloss over and we pretend like aren't a big deal, like you know, like the sin of gluttony. Okay, uh, that's that's why you know we don't talk about that, especially in our Baptist churches, because we like fried chicken. And uh, you know, I mean, that's just the way that it is, right? And and so we don't deal with with some of those things. We don't like to talk about some of that stuff. But listen, it is important. It is in the Bible. Now, before we get too uncomfortable, uh, that's not what we're going to focus on this morning. No, it can be easy to fail in the upkeep of our temple when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Don't forget that was the primary purpose of the temple. So that people could deal with their sin. So that people could have that relationship with God. And when the temple was in ruin, the relationship wasn't There, It can be so easy to fail in the upkeep of our temple with that relationship. It can be easy to have the presence of God dwelling within you, but not to dwell in His presence. Did you get that? It can be easy to have the the Holy Spirit, the presence of God dwelling within you, but not to dwell in His presence. Presence. What are we saying? Friend, it can be so easy for us to have the Holy Spirit in us because, we're accepted, because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, but not to be living our lives where we're constantly living in communion in a relationship with God. One of the saddest realities that these Israelites One of the saddest things was that they were living their life without a relationship with God. They were living outside of His presence. And somewhere along the way, it had just become their way of life. It was just normal. What's so sad is that there's probably some in this room that there was a time in your life where you were enjoying the presence of God where you had a close walk with God, where you had a close relationship with the Lord, where you had that personal sweet time of fellowship, but somewhere along the way, the temple, your spirit, God, listen, it became ruined. And now you go day after day after day after day and your spiritual life is broken down and it isn't what it ought to be and you don't have the relationship with God and it's so sad it is that for most Christians, many Christians, it just becomes a way of life. Just normal. Day after day after day after day with no recognitions of the presence of God. You come to that place where you say, man, I, I remember back whenever I was a teenager and I was at camp, or, or maybe I was, I, w- I was at a service here at Wild Baptist Church, or, or I can remember back I was at a service at, at this church, and, and man, I can just remember that the Holy Spirit, man, it was just so convicting in my heart. It, was only, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was pretty close to where it was just so clear. God was speaking to me. Man, that was a long time ago. It's been a long time since I've heard the voice of God in my heart. And maybe, just maybe, it's because the temple's been left in ruin. There's some things that are out of order. For a few moments this morning, we can see from the example of those in Haggai's day that there are a number of things that stole away from the relationship that they should have been enjoying with Christ. And my prayer this morning is that we will learn from them we will purpose to rebuild, rebuild that relationship with God in our own lives. See, the first thing that we see is that they were busy with other things. They were busy with other things. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says that. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, and the first day of the month, came the, the, the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua the son of Josedek, and the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time's not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. You see, the people had a familiar excuse for their lack of involvement in the work of God. For their lack of, of rebuilding that temple that would pre- enable them to have that relationship with God. You know what their excuse was? We just don't have time. It's just not the right time. I got a lot going on. I'm busy. You know, I got, I got things going on. And, and it's just not the right time to, to do this. They were busy, too busy with other things that needed to get done in their life. God calls them out on their busyness in verse number four. Look at what he says, okay? Listen, this is what God says, not me, okay? So so if conviction sets in, I just want you to know, okay? Verse, it did for me. Verse number four God says to them, Is it time for you, O ye that dwell in the siled houses in this house, lie in waste? He, He says, Listen, he says, Okay, here's what's happening, here's what was taking place. The children of Israel didn't have time to rebuild the temple. They didn't have time to rebuild the temple that represented their relationship with God. But you know what they did have time for? For home and that's, that's what it says. That's what, the styled houses. They were, they were tiling their houses. They were too busy on their honeydew list, alright? That's what was taking place. They were too busy working on their property to deal with dealing with the things of God. They were busy with their lives. Verse number four uses a word that's familiar, we find throughout the Scripture. I think it's important, I think it it lies at the heart of this. It says this, It is time for you, or is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your styled houses? I mean, d- does God really think it's bad for you to upkeep your house? Does God really think it's bad? You got a, a, a leak in your roof? Does God, is God like, you know, you should just leave the leaky roof so that you can go and take it? That's not what God is saying there, okay? That God's not saying that we shouldn't take care of the properties and, 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 and the, the things that God has given to us, that we shouldn't uh, take care of the maintenance on our vehicles and take care of the things that we have to do on our property. That's not what he's saying here. Here's what the problem was. The dwell means that that was just kind of where they remained. Where they spent all their time. It was the thing that that really consumed their lives. See that that word dwell, let's 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 understand it a little bit better, okay? That word dwell is is used in other portions of the scripture, okay? Like, for example, in 1 Peter chapter number 3, okay. I want to try to help some marriages here this morning, okay? In 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 7, it says this likewise ye husbands, dwell with them, speaking of your wife, according to knowledge. Okay, so so what is that saying there, okay? This is what it's saying. It says, Husbands, you're supposed to spend time with your wives. Okay, now listen. I know I am stepping on some toes here this morning because there is some guys that are like, "Listen, Kyle, I am about as soon as you are done with this, I am heading to the mountains and I am going to be gone, okay, for like the next three months." Okay, I mean that's the way that's the way we live in Montana, and uh, you know that's that's the way it is. And some of the women in this room are saying, "Amen, preacher, preacher," you know, and, and it's, it's that's that's the way that it, that it is, right? Uh, the word "dwell" there it means to live with them, to remain with them, to spend time there to be committed to it or to them i mean we we understand it when it comes to to marriage relationship i mean like if you're going to be married with someone then you probably should you know be with them dwell with them right you know i mean i just in our minds we're just like well yeah kyle that 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 makes sense. I mean, like that says, yeah, duh. You know, you're not telling us anything new here this morning. Okay, well, let's find another place where that word's used. In Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 16, listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, this is interesting. We understand whenever it says that we're supposed to dwell with our spouse, that that means we're supposed to spend time, we're supposed to invest energy there, we're supposed to uh, you know, be emotionally involved, attached. We understand that when we think of dwelling with our spouse. But do you see what the Bible says? It says we're supposed to let the Word of God dwell in us. What does that mean? It means that the Word of God is supposed to have time in our lives. That we're supposed to give thought to it. That it's not just to be something that we just kind of pass in and out of. Or, or, you know, as one preacher said it recently, I heard, and I thought this was good, we don't just come on Sunday morning to get our fix, All right, That's not the way that it's supposed to be, okay? No, no, it's supposed to be more than that. You know, the Bible talks about it in Psalm chapter number 1. He says this in Psalm 1, verse number 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But listen, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Day and night. Do you know in the book of Deuteronomy that the, the parents were commanded to teach their children the law of the Lord? When they rose up, when they lied down, when they walked about, they said, hey, listen, you're supposed to bind it upon your own." On your front, the front lens of your eyes. He said, "Listen, you're supposed to put it. You're supposed to put it everywhere. You're supposed to be teaching your children the word of God constantly throughout the day. No matter. I mean, when you're he says that when you're lying down, when you're rising up, when you're walking around. Listen, that pretty much encompasses most of the day. Okay. I mean, like there's a few times where you sit. Okay, that he didn't, you know, not included there. All right, but to, no, I think, I think the idea here is all the time, all the time." God's Word is supposed to be, what? Dwelling in you. In Psalm 119, verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. All the day. Now, we understand it when it comes to our spouse. Dwelling with them. Makes sense. But I wonder how many of us can truly say we're allowing the Word of God to dwell in in our hearts. About it during the day? Do the messages that we preach on Sunday, I just wonder, do they make it further? Than the back door of the church. I just wonder. I, I'm just curious about it. I mean, I was so encouraged on Wednesday night. Uh, we, were, we were talking on Wednesday night, and Tara said, Your message this Sunday, I was thinking about it during the week, and I was like, Woohoo! One got through. All right, woo! Yeah, that's awesome, you know. Listen, does God's word dwell with you? Do you think about it? For so many first century believers, our Christian life is built on spare time. And we wonder why our relationship with God suffers. You can mark it down. If you try to build and maintain your relationship with your spouse on spare time, it's going to suffer. Why do we think our relationship with God is any different? Oh, I got five minutes. Five minutes, okay, I'll just spend five minutes with, okay, okay, where, a good, okay, yep, Okay, right here, I mean, last week we went through Obadiah, one chapter, and you're like, Obadiah, that's the place to go, okay, there you go, and you read through it, 20, 21 verse, whatever, and then I'm, boom, close the book, okay, woo, had my time with God today, whew, all right, check that box, I'm done. Try that with your, your spouse. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, you're like, hey, so good to see you, what's your plans for the day? Good, all right, I'll see you tomorrow, you <laughs> know? Don't do that too many days in a row. I don't know what your marriage is like, but that wouldn't work for mine. No, I have to dwell with my spouse. Friend, is the Word of God dwelling with you? Or is it just spare time? The 21st century Christian doesn't have time for God. Because we're busy with all the other things that we do have time for. See, we fall into the same trap that the children of Israel had fallen into. I don't have time to dwell with God. I don't have time to to, to build and rebuild that relationship with God. But what I do have time with is to put the siding on the house. That's what they were doing. I don't have time to, to spend time with God. But what I do have time for is to go spend some time in the mountains. I don't have time to spend time with God, but what I do have time for is time with ball games. I don't have time with God, time to spend time with Him and rebuild that relationship, but I do have time with fill in the blank. And sadly, in our American Christianity, we have so amused ourselves to the point that we have time for everything else. We have time for our TV shows. We have time for our Netflix. We have time for our Amazon Prime. We have time for our Hulu. We have time for all the streaming services and the local news station and Fox News and, and maybe someone in CNN. I don't know. But you know, you got, you got time for all these different things. But we don't have time for God. And we don't know why our relationship with Him struggles. maybe we should think about dwelling with Him and allowing His Word to dwell in us. See, they, the children of Israel, they were just busy with other things. Someone told me recently, I thought this was good, they, said, I, they asked me, they said, how, how, how have you been, how's life? I said, it's busy. He said, just so you know, that the acrostic for busy is being under Satan's yoke. And I said, thanks a lot. You know, (laughs) sometimes we busy ourselves to death at the expense of a relationship with God. You know, if you want to rebuild that relationship with the Lord, you're going to have to choose to put some good things maybe aside to dwell with Him. They were busy with other things. And you know what they found out? They found out that those things were empty. Those things were empty. Look at verses 5 and through 7 in our Bibles. Now for thus saith the Lord of hosts, he says this two words, this, this phrase, this is so important. Consider your ways. You have sown much, bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put him into a bag with holes. How many of you have experienced that? You're like, where did the money go? It's gone. That's what they were going through. Verse number seven Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. God challenges them twice in these three verses to consider their ways. Because not only were they busy with other things at the expense of a relationship with God, God points out that those things were leaving them empty. They were leaving them empty. We don't have the verses. If you have your Bible, flip over. This is so cool. Uh, Just a page over in Haggai, okay? Look at verse number 10 of chapter number 2. Listen to what he says. says, in the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt, do touch bread, or potash, or wine, or oil, or any of meat, shall he be holy? The priest answered and said, No. What what is he saying here? This is kind of silly. He says, Listen, okay, the priest's garment was supposed to be holy. It was supposed to be spotless. He says, Listen, if your garment gets spotted, he says, Is it still holy? The priest says, No. Verse number, uh, verse number uh, 13. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? The priest answered and said, It shall not be clean. Okay? It shall be unclean. So, so what does he say? He says, Listen, he says, You're not you know, as a priest, and you're in the holy capacity. You're not supposed to touch a dead body. He says, If you touch the dead body, what's that make you? He says, It makes you no longer clean. Holy makes you unclean. Verse number 14. Then answered Haggai and said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hand, which they offer there, is unclean. What is he saying here? Here's what was happening. He said, listen, he said, if the priest went and, 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 and defiled his garment and then went about his duties, he said, with the offering, with the sacrifice, the things that he's doing, he said, would they be accepted? God said, God says, he's asking him, and the priest says, no, they wouldn't, they'd be unclean. If the priest goes and, and, and you know, he's getting ready to perform his holy duties and, and he goes and, and he touches a dead body, he says, and then it's, you know, he said, and then he goes about and he, he performs his duty. He said, would it be considered clean or unclean? The, the priest says it would be unclean. Here's what he's getting at. He says, listen, here's the problem. The people were still doing spiritual things. They were still involved in in, in religious practices. But they were doing it all without the presence of God. They were doing it all without God's blessing. They were doing it all, what? For a show. For a show. And God says, I'm not interested in that. You know what's sad? There's a lot of Christians that do the show. But they don't have a relationship. And you know what God says? I don't want it. You can keep it. How many times in your life do you go and you do the show without the relationship? How many times in my life do I do the show without the relationship and God says I'm not interested in that you see the children of Israel they were busy doing things but all the things while they were not maybe bad things they were good things God said they weren't the best thing the one thing that really mattered and he said listen it's empty it's empty in verse 9 through 11, he says, he looks there in chapter number 1. He says in verse number 9, You looked for munch, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow it. I sent a blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord, knows? Because mine house, that is waste, and you run every man into your own house. Therefore, heaven over you estate from dew, the earth it stayed from fruit. I, I called for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men, upon cattle, upon all the labor of the hands. What did he say? He said, listen, because you're not doing the thing that matters, have building that temple, building that back up so you can have a relationship with me. He said, everything that you're doing is coming to naught. He said, it's like you're putting money in bags with holes. It's empty. It's empty. You know, Peter knew a thing or two about this. Peter Peter had experienced this for himself at the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus had risen from the dead, was ready to get back to work with his disciples, but Peter was broken from all that had happened. You'll remember, there he is on that nice three times, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know Jesus. Now Jesus comes back and says, right, guys, let's get back to work. And Peter says, you know what? I'm done. He was so broken that he had determined to quit. The Christian life was hard, and it would just be easier, he thought, to go make money on his own. So he went back to where he knew he could succeed, where he had succeeded in the past. The one thing that he had done that he knew before he met Christ, he had found success in. He went back to fishing. Chapter number 21 of John, verse number 3 Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with, me, with thee. So they went forth, they entered into a ship immediately, and guess what? That night, they caught nothing. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, this guy is so low. He's like, I've already failed Jesus, I'm, and my life is pointless, it's worthless. I can't even do anything for him. I'm just going to go back to the one thing that I know that I can do. <laughs> he catches nothing. <laughs> How discouraging. But I wonder, what, what if the story was a little bit different? What if Peter had put the net in and he pulled up and there were a couple of fish in there? I mean, let's say there, there, maybe there was one, two. Maybe it was, there was enough to feed the guys that were with it. There are three, four, five fish in there. Do you realize it still would have been nothing in comparison to what God can do? See, the story didn't end there. It goes on a little bit further, and in verse number four, it says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, (laughs) have you any meat? Hey, Peter, how's fishing going? How's that life that you think you're going to be successful in? How's it going? (laughs) And they say, Uh... We haven't caught anything, not even a nibble. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitudes of fishes. See, Peter discovered, he rediscovered what had always been so clear. You can't do anything that compares with the blessing of God on your life outside of God. And the Israelites discovered there's no real success outside of the plan for their life. Matthew 6.33 tells us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And listen, all the things will be added unto you. I love Ephesians 3.20. It's one of my favorite verses. Now unto him that is able to do Exceeding, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. See, you might find some measure of success doing things your way and pursuing your wants, your desires, and your plan. You might catch a couple of fish, but nothing can compare with what God can do in your life when you rebuild that temple and restore that relationship with Him. When you desire that relationship with Him above everything else, God isn't in heaven waiting to throw some lightning bolt down when you mess up. Okay? He's a loving Father who wants to pour out a blessing when you live for him and serve him and rebuild that temple in your life. But so many are missing out on the blessings of God because they want to do things their way. You know what, God, when I get around to it one day, then, then I'll have that relationship with you. God, I'm just so busy right now. I mean, I got kids and a spouse, and there's ball games, and and the, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are happening, and I'm just I'm just so busy. But one day when things slow down, <laughs> have you ever said that before? <laughs> I, I, I I think it's just what it's just what we do. You know, we just say that to each other over and you know. I, I think when things slow down, that we just keep repeating that phrase until one day we die. <laughs> That's how that works. Okay. Someday, when things slow down, then, then I'll rebuild that temple and have that relationship with God. And you're going to go through your whole life missing out on the blessings of God because you were so busy building your house. And God says, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. You know, the children of Israel, they found what it was whenever you finally get things back on track and you do it the way God says. There at the end of the chapter number 1, in verse number 12 it says, Then after, after God spoke to him, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedech the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's message uh, messenger to the Lord's messenger to the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, uh, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, the spirit of the remnant of the people. And listen, they came and they did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And you know what happened? They got stirred up when God spoke to them. They looked at them and they said, you know what? This is going to come to naught, but this is what really matters. We need to rebuild this temple for the Lord. And so they got busy building the house of God. When they got stirred, the work of God started to get done, and that relationship began to be restored. But don't miss it. We're almost finished. Chapter number two. This is so cool. The final three messages are priests preached, but I want to deal primarily, primarily with just one of them. Here are the people, they're building the t- the tabernacle, they're, they're getting getting back to work. And in chapter number two, you, you come to verse number three. And, and 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 Haggai writes to him through inspiration of God, and he says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her glory? He's talking about the first temple. He says, Man, how many of you remember what it was like when you saw the, the old temple? The one that was built before. You know, the original temple. How many of you remember that? And and listen, there was probably a number of them that remembered that old temple. The glory, the magnitude, just the awe of that temple. The gold and the bronze and the statues and all the ornaments within the temple. I mean, it was a spectacle and incredible things to behold. And he says this, how do you see it now? It's not in your eyes it's not, it, is it not in your eyes in comparison as, of, as, uh, of it as nothing? What is he saying? He says, listen. He says, I know what some of you are thinking. You remember what the old temple looked like. And you should see what we're building here. And he said, you're, I know you're looking at it saying, this is nothing like what we used to have. You don't think it's much. But don't miss this. Yet now be strong, he says, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, O people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. Why? For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now don't miss verse number seven. This is so cool. And I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. This is awesome. He says, listen, he says, you think that what you're doing isn't going to matter. The, the building that you're doing, he said, you, you think that, that, it, that it's never going to be like it was. But he said, listen, I want to tell you something. He said, it's going to be even better than you could ever have imagined. And here's why. He says that little phrase in verse number seven, the desire of all nations shall come. Verse number 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. In this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what he's saying there? That desire of all nations? That desire of all nations, it was speaking of someone, not something. The desire of all nations was not just a beautiful temple. The desire of all nations was not just peace amongst Israel. The desire of all nations was one that was supposed to come, a Messiah. You know what he said here? He said, listen, let me tell you why this one's going to be so much more grand. Maybe not in your eyes, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be so much better. I'll tell you why. Because in that temple, in this temple that you're building, one day the Savior's going to come and He's going to be inside of it. And everyone else is going to see Him inside of this temple. And it's going to be a glory like never before. You know, friend, I wonder if we're just too busy For Jesus this morning. Too busy to allow him, listen, to be seen in your temple. Seen in your life. If you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking maybe someday you're missing the point. You're missing out. God wants you to rebuild your temple that's been left and disrepair. He wants you to rebuild that relationship with him. He wants you to experience his blessings upon your life. He wants you to let Jesus show out of your life. And if you'll allow him to, it will be the greatest thing that you could ever imagine. Every week we finished up with this. <laughs> the word Haggai, the name, has a meaning. Haggai's name, kind of different, means the festal one. The festal one. The feasts were days of enjoying the blessing of God and praising the name of God. You know what Haggai wanted to remind us? He wanted to remind us that when you rebuild that temple, the festival begins. The blessing, the praise of God, that's when it begins. And when you rebuild the temple of God in your life that maybe has been broken down, you set aside some things that they are important, but listen, they're not the most important. And you focus on the thing that matters more than anything, that, that fresh, sweet relationship with God. He says, wow, just get ready because the party's just about to start. (laughs) The joy, the praise, the glory, it's right there. You're not going to be putting money in in pockets with holes anymore. No, 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 no. You're going to experience the very presence of God real in your life. Friend, what's the temple look like this morning? If it's broken down, Let's allow the Lord to repair it, get things right, so we can rejoice in the Lord, just like Haggai challenges us to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that you've allowed us to be able to open your word, to look at this book of the Bible that gets hidden in here yet. Lord, is so powerful. And I pray, God, for some this morning that this would be the message from the word of God that would stir us. To look at our lives and determine that we're not just going to settle for the status quo. Not just going to settle for things just just being the way that they are. But no, God, we want that fresh, sweet relationship with you. And I pray there will be some in this room that would get that this morning. Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day. Don't put it off. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, why don't you make sure your relationship with Him is that sweet, close relationship that he desires to have with you this morning.